Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I have on Jay Lavelle and we are naked for you together. How are you doing together. today? Together. T- together, naked. Naked. With a stranger. <laughs> I mean... Worse things have happened or more unusual <laughs> things. You're not totally a stranger, actually. You're a co-host on a podcast, and I was on. I was a guest on once. It was a really um, great experience. It was a group podcast. So I want you to jump in. Dark Horse Studios is your website, but you can find that a couple different ways. So you jump in and, and explain that. Sure, sure. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you all about me. And I have to say, this is the first time I think that I've I've been on the camera like this naked. It's like weird. It's seeing all this stuff in here. Like, oh, wow, you really are hairy, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> okay, so so my website, um, one of many is uh, www.jnlavelle.com. And when you type that in, it's going to revert to one of these Wix sites, uh, addresses that says Dark Horse Studios 3. Um, but that's basically my my author page, and you can go there. You can you can find out about the books that I write, and I'll tell you a little about about them now. That way, it'll yes. save you the trouble here. Um, <clears throat> but I write I write paranormal stuff. I, I write horror books, books that are that are just kind of creepy and scary. Um, they're not really slasher gore type horror although there there is death in them and there is sex and there's the other stuff that you would expect to find in in horror stories um but you know it's not all blood and guts you know i really am trying to focus more on you know a character's journey through a really strange situation uh, or a strange time in their life and so that's what i that's what i write about um, I actually, I actually like to take bits of real life. Um, in fact, the first book that I ever wrote uh, is called The Cold Room. And I wrote that because my wife and I lived in a house that was also occupied by something else, something not of this world anymore. And we, we never really knew what she was, um, only that she really didn't like to be talked about a whole lot. And so the more we brought her up or strange things that might be happening in the house, uh, the more often strange things would happen. So I was like, okay, well, we're not going to talk about this for a few years. And um, eventually when we bought another house, I started compiling these events and and building a fictional story out of them using kind of the the real life stuff as as the backbone, which I, I really love doing because I feel like it... Not only does it make it easier to write a story uh, when you're starting with a with a real life event, but I feel like it just it gives it a, a good strong foundation uh, to fall back on when you when you get stuck in the middle of writing. So so that's what I write. You know, I, I like to write creepy stuff that makes you think and maybe makes your skin crawl a little bit more than than seeing this uh, might make your skin crawl. Uh, so jnlavelle.com is, is where you find info on my books. Um, and I would love for you to check them out. I, I think there's some really great stuff up there. I'm really proud of them. Um, but I, I also do kind of a lot more than that at this point. You know, when I met uh, Jen, we were not naked. Uh, wow. We were on the, uh, the Spilling Ink podcast. And uh, or actually, there's a little sign for Spilling Ink behind me there on the wall, I think. Oh, yeah, there and is. Spilling okay. Ink is, yeah, it's, it's like an author roundtable um, or an author panel show where usually four to six people get together 
over in a Zoom type setting like this. And we all just kind of chat about life and what we're writing and the publishing business and any, you know, troubles we might be having with our books or, or with ourselves personally. And sometimes we talk about things like, you know, are Pop-Tarts better than Toaster Strudels, which is ridiculous because Toaster Strudels are the best. Um, but it's kind of whatever comes up, um, comes up and, and it's just a really good time. And it's, it's an excuse for us all to, to chat with other people who, um, you know, are, are in the same field and in the creative business. And, and I think that that's good for us to unwind a little bit, um, especially if you have a lot of kids like I do, or many, many kids like you do. Uh, it's nice to be able to have some, uh, some grown up time, I think. Uh, so that's the Spilling Ink podcast, and, and that's a lot of fun. Um, and I also have a, another podcast that I do. It's called Unafraid, and Unafraid is completely different, nothing to do with the uh, writing or publishing industry whatsoever, um, and it's all about sharing stories from the LGBTQ plus community, um, kind of stories of, of strength or survival or, or thriving in a world that a lot of times doesn't accept queer people. Um, and, and so it, it's a very intense show. Um, sometimes there's laughter, sometimes there's a lot of tears, uh, but it's something that I wanted to do to um, not only to provide a little bit of education for people who might not be in the queer community or might not have the same experiences as others, but um, also just to send some love out there into the world and said, hey, you know, we're, we're here and, and we're, we're people. We struggle just like everyone else on this planet and um, just kind of a way to connect with others. Um, I love yeah. that. I had no idea you did that. Yeah. Yep. 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 Boy, I felt like I, I was supposed to do that for 20 minutes and it's only nine minutes now. Like, oh, whoa, that's not good. I went way too fast through that stuff. No, no, it's all good. I love the paranormal stuff because I don't understand it, but I, I've always, since I was a little kid, sensed it around me. So I love what you said about the house. I had a house that like the cabinets used to be open. It wasn't anything really exceptional, just more like confusing. Like why that? Why now? And then I went through a period of time where I found dimes everywhere and I looked it up and it's like someone from the other side is thinking about you. And I was, I, I mean, it was like crazy. I'd sweep the floor, walk back into the room and there'd be a dime in the middle of the floor and I'm alone in the house, that sort of thing. You know, like really uh, back when I was a kid, you'd call somebody with a dime. That's like not, that's, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> so six books, you have six books, two podcasts. And spilling ink is a ton of fun. Yeah, it it really is. It, we we just have a a great time. Uh, the original hosts on Spilling Ink were uh, David Jones and Katie Salitis, and I was actually a, a guest on the first or second episode. And I had told them at that time, "Hey, this is a great time. I'm happy to come back and help out anytime." And and then a couple of weeks later, they were like, yeah, why don't you just come in and host this with us? <laughs> and so I started That's... as a, as a release, uh, relief host. And now, uh, now I'm on all the time and, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's a really good time. We, we have so many fun people come on. Um, I like, I, I know when you came on, we had a, a, a very long and, and great discussion, uh, kind of on life and, and dealing with life and, and quarantine. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. So we just, we meet so many, so many people that are so wildly different in in their lives. It's you know it, at one point we had on a um, one guest was a cop and the other was a was an archaeologist and I was like man this is 
amazing. I mean, who, yeah. who else just gets to talk to this, this kind of variety of people? Uh, Do you have guests on your other podcast on the Unafraid? Yeah. So it's the yeah. same thing, right? I have the most interesting guests. Every single podcast episode I record, I walk out and my husband will say, hey, how was your episode? I'm like, that was my favorite episode ever. Because every one of them are, you're, I mean, genuinely, there's a couple in there, maybe not the case. And maybe some stand out higher than others. But every time I get to connect with people, it's absolutely, it's so interesting. It's so much fun, right? It so is. I love that. Oh, yeah. I, I want to go back in time. You are from Michigan originally? Yes. The land of Mish. Yes, <laughs> yes. I am from uh, Michigan uh, originally. Yeah. We, uh, we traveled around the country when I was just a wee baby still. But, uh, but yeah, born, born in Michigan. So take me back to your story because I know that there's a lot. I don't know anything about your story, actually. I was going to say, you don't know my story. I know. (laughs) Usually I have bullet points, but you have me flying blind, which is totally fine. Um, You you did make one comment, though. You said, I don't consider my life a triumph, more like a survival. Well, yeah. And and you're... um... For those of you who haven't seen her sign-up sheet, um, you know she asked you to to talk about you know points of your struggle or and things like that. And I'm like, well, I'm still struggling, so I don't really <laughs> I can't really talk about this in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, okay. So you know, going back in time from a 40-year-old and kind of try to figure out where things went awry, it, it's it's tough, but. I'll tell you when, when I knew that there was something really wrong in my head, in my brain, uh, and that was, it was probably around high school, which for a lot of people is when, um, you know, issues with uh, personality disorders or mental illness really rear their, their heads. Um, and so in, in, late, um, in late middle school, I started writing little stories and they were always ghastly and gruesome and terrible and the teachers would, would hate them and the other kids would love them. So of course I, I enjoyed that. Um, but going into high school, I was this very, very small child um, who had gone to a Catholic school their, their entire schooling and was in a public school for the first time. So I was already in a place that was very unfamiliar and uncomfortable. And of course, as a 14-year-old, um, you know, for, for boys, uh, you're, you're starting to really experience your hormones for the first time. And so, um, you know, the next year or two became kind of consumed with this idea of um, having a girlfriend. You know, it's, it's having a girlfriend and not getting picked on by the older kids. And okay, so that's, that's not terribly abnormal, right? Many, many 14-year-old boys have this this type of experience. But um, I would say junior year or so of high school, um, depression was really starting to take a hold of me in a big way where nothing could make me happy anymore. Um, Nothing at all. Um, I was no longer a super small teeny tiny kid that was getting beat up in the locker rooms. You know, I had devoted a significant amount of time to working out and becoming a larger person so that I could avoid that. Um, but my, my focus be, became women and sex. And it wasn't even so much, you know, the, 
the physical act of having sex with someone. It was the kind of that dance leading up to being able to have sex with someone, you know, the, the seduction or the manipulation or whatever it was, it was, it was an exertion of, of power really is, is what it was. It was me trying to show that I could put myself in any situation by talking myself into it. And I was very, very good at it. Um, and, you know, fast forward back to, you know, there's the last couple of years trying to understand that, you know, it's my own way trying to deal with a, a very powerless life and being completely powerless to my own mental illness. Um, but I use that to <laughs> convince, you know, however many um, girls that, that thought I was cute that, yeah, it's a, it's a good idea to, to sleep with me. You know, I think that's, that's, that's great. And at the time I probably was very, very proud of that. Um, and thought, hey, you know, you're just, you know, like a, a Don Juan or you're so smooth and you're so suave. And, um, and the, the J of today is really disgusted with that person because I had so many, so many issues that I was dealing with. Um, I, I lived in, in a home that had some abuse going on um, in it. Um, I had... <laughs> We won't go. We won't go deep, too deep into the home life because they're all still living, and and who knows what they end up watching. But um, a, a really strange home life, and I was, I know now, um, a bipolar person uh, with extreme depression, and I was never medicated for it. You know, I, I never had any kind of counseling for it. So. Um, if you know much about depression or bipolar, which actually a lot of people do nowadays, it can be crippling and it can be devastating, not only for the person, but for the people around them. Um, you know, people with depression can, can really destroy others' lives as well. Um, because, and, and we're not just, I'm not just talking about suicidal behavior, which I didn't get into until I was much older. But just because I hated myself so much, I didn't have a problem tearing down people around me. So by the time I got bored with talking girls into having sex with me, it, it was more moving on into how can I just make people feel as terrible as possible. Um, and, and during that time, I, I really, I didn't do any writing at all, except for a handful of uh, terrible poems here and there. And you know, my, my life became largely just about consuming anything that might make me feel good. Um, mm. You know, I was a lifelong smoker, um, you know, any kind of drugs or alcohol, anything I'd get my hands on, sex, you know, that was just another, you know, something to try to, to make you feel good. Um, and at the time, I, I didn't realize that I did anything maliciously against other people, but you know, again, looking back as, as an adult person, it, it's, it's obvious, you know, that I wanted to show people how much I, I was hurting by hurting them as well. And that makes perfectly good sense. Um, you know, and it's something I'm, I'm really not proud of. And I wish that I could go back and, and wipe out completely. And people say you never want to wish for that because then you wouldn't be the person you are now. But I do wish for that because I wish I could wipe out all the hurt that I made other people feel because I don't think that's right to 
to cause another person hurt. Um, but all right, I'm I'm getting I'm I'm getting off uh, off subject here. Not that I not that no, I you're not at all. I mean, this is this is so true. And when you're when you're in a home where your depression or feeling or bipolar is not being diagnosed and recognized and you're not getting help, I feel like, especially like, like you said, especially at that age, you're channeling into wherever you can. It's not a directly malicious action. It's, it's not knowing what to do, I think. Yeah. Well, and I was, it, it was a really confusing time. Um, you know, I had no idea who I actually was. And, yeah. um, you know, looking back now, I think that my whole life I've been searching for some kind of identity because I've never really felt like I fit in any particular place. So, um, and, and so I can, I can understand that, but I try not to give my, myself uh, too much, too much slack because again, we all make our decisions and there are plenty of people who are raised or, or lived in, in bad situations that that don't do bad things to other people um and so i i don't want to i'm not going to make excuses for myself absolutely for me, not absolutely know, not i i was hurting and i made other people hurt and that was kind of the the bottom line when it came to that um but okay so then you get into 20s right yes i'm i'm starting to have i'm starting to have kids because of course that's a, a really smart idea to do um yeah when you're, when you're 19, that makes everything better <laughs> it makes they're so easy better. it's fun yes, <laughs> easy breezy um so i've got kids and you know i i've uh you know i have a, a long-term girlfriend that i that i live with and you know life is as you would expect for 19, 20 year old, you know, couples that, that have a young kid, it's hard. Life is hard. Um, and things are pretty uneventful for quite a while. Um, and you know, that relationship falls apart and doesn't really do a whole lot to me because again, I'm in my early twenties and I don't really care about anything. I'm, I'm working and drinking and making money. And so by late twenties, I make the decision actually to go back to school uh, and get back into writing. And I get into to writing for local magazines and uh, so doing nonfiction articles, things like that. Uh, super boring, but it also kind of, uh, you know, primes that, uh, that, that writing uh, switch again, I, I think. So I start, I start writing uh, creatively again. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm writing short stories. Uh, they're not quite as gruesome as they used to be, but everyone still does die. Um, you know, <laughs> met some uh, met some cute girls in college, of, of course. And uh, one of those cute girls that I met happened to be um, one of the instructors in the photography department, um, and, who is now my my wife. And so we we've, we've had a a wonderful relationship. Um, we started working together, as, um, you know, as a photography couple, doing weddings, things like that. And, you know, she's always kind of taken the lead in our relationship and our in our life because she is very strong and very smart and so much more together than I ever have been in my life. Um, you know, she's she's lived through some abuses as well um, and comes from a family where. Uh, substance abuse was was a really big problem uh, so she the the first night that we went out 
we had a, a long, long conversation and we actually, we actually stayed the, the night together, but it was just talking and it was amazing. And uh, she said to me, because I was asking about her past and she was telling me all this crazy stuff. And, and um, she says, yeah, but you know, we all have a past and I just, I don't want mine to define me. And that was really, really special to me. Um, and I, and I'm sure that there have been variations on that same sentiment that have been used in movies or books and by other people, but I never really thought about that before that, all of the baggage that I have been carrying around didn't necessarily have to be me. It could have just been, you know, a part of me that I left behind. Um, and so that was a, I feel like that was a, a really positive moment for me with her. Um, and of course, you know, we've, we've had our ups and downs, especially at first, but you know, fast forward again, and we get married, life is good, more kids, we've got four kids. Four kids. It's so many. It's a lot. How many did you have in your early twenties with your girlfriend? Um, just, just one actually. Okay. Okay. Just one then. Thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay. So you had one already and then you had three more with your wife? Yeah, I had, I had one and she had two with her, with her ex-husband and so, and then we had one together. So we have four, four total, okay. um, but they've all, you know, they, they all live with us now. And, and so it's, um, well, some are in college, but um but anyhow, yeah. So it it was it was a good it was a good thing. Like I said, and, and it was challenging, especially with a a blended family at first. You know, trying to figure out how everything works together, uh, with that many different personalities coming from different places. Um, but all in all, it was a good thing. And we moved into the house um, where we experienced the strange paranormal things uh, that happened in uh, the book, The Cold Room, which you should definitely check out. It's a fun read. But okay, so yeah, blah, blah, blah. Now we're parents of four. Life just keeps moving on. I'm working whatever jobs I can stand to keep because I don't love to, to work all that much. And I'm, I'm self-publishing books. Um, you know, I, I found a friend here in town who taught me what self-publishing was. And she said, this is something you can actually do. You know, your, your manuscript is pretty good. And so I said, okay. Um, so I, I just, I kept writing and I did it for fun. And I wouldn't even tell people that I was working on a book because I was afraid if people knew it would be too much pressure and I wouldn't actually be able to write the book, right? Um, so, I, I think- That's really common, I think. Yeah, a great many of us do. Yeah. Uh, so, so yes, you know, writing, 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 self-publishing, getting more tattoos all over the place. Um, this is actually my wife right here. She modeled for, for this one. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah, what does the other one say on your chest, your upper Words right? Words are yeah. weapons. Ooh, yeah. wow. Okay. I know, cheesy, but, but so true. Um, okay, so let's see here. I'm, I'm trying to find something... Uh, relevant to to point you to here so i think this this was probably now three years ago we'll make a big leap here uh three years ago i tried to kill myself um you know i tried to overdose on benzos and alcohol and unfortunately um the warnings were grossly exaggerated um <laughs> not nearly as dangerous oh as you God. guys think don't, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Right. We're talking about suicide here. So you, you took all these. Don't, 
It won't Don't work, just start guys. taking Don't Xanax try. and and Ambien. It's not going to do anything. You'll get a bad <laughs> headache. Um, so so anyhow, so I didn't die. <laughs> I mean, or this would be a totally different podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I. So an I'm, unsuccessful suicide attempt. Uh, unsuccessful suicide attempt, and and really, it was. Um, Funny enough, because I was having a really bad um, depressive swing, and bear in mind that I, I only got diagnosed bipolar a few years ago, so right. um, this was all brand new to me. Uh, I went to see a therapist, a, a counselor here in town, and it was that day, and that was the first time I had seen a, a counselor about my depression, that I went home and I was like, it's time to die, motherfucker. Uh, and, and I think it was just because, you know, so much stuff had come up that I wasn't prepared to deal with. I didn't know what to do with it. And I was like, I can't do this. It, I, 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 it's too much. So I picked a huge fight with, uh, with my wife, uh, you know, for no reason whatsoever. I don't even know what it was about. And I basically sat in the living room um, drinking Fireball and popping Xanax and Ambien and the, my goal was that by the time it was bedtime, I would have so much in my system and my, my respiration would be so depressed that I just wouldn't wake up again. Um, and in my head, it sounded great. But what happened was, well, for anyone who has not taking, taken Xanax or Ambien, it makes you really tired. So <laughs> after a few Xanax and Ambien and a few fireballs, I just fell asleep. And that was it. There was no grand exit from the world. There was no huge statement or anything like that. It was just, yeah, I'm asleep drooling on the, on the chair, uh, looking like an idiot after picking a huge fight with my wife. So next day, um, she finds out what I was actually up to because apparently I sent uh, some goodbye messages to people um, that night before and they contacted her and um, you know, go into, go into treatment to, to talk about everything that's going on. And, you know, and mental illness has a, has a, it's kind of a stifling effect on creativity. So while this is happening, you know, I, I'm not writing anything at all, really. Um, I'm just trying to be alive and trying to understand why being dead would be so much better than being around with my wife and kids. And it's not something I can really answer because I love my wife and kids more than myself, you know, and I say I would do anything for them. So why is it that I wouldn't want to be here to be with them? So I, I was really battling with this idea of why, why, why did that seem like it was okay to me? You know, why did I think that, that was an acceptable solution to this problem. Um, people don't realize just what depression feels like. Um, I mean, you just absolutely, there's just no joy. Uh, there's, there's just no joy in your life whatsoever. Um, but anyhow, I'm, I am not a psychologist, so I, I can't really give you a good definition there. And I'm not really sure where I'm going, Jen, but I feel like there's, there's some kind of something coming that I'm, that I'm working towards, maybe. Um, Oh, okay. Okay. How about, how about this? So this whole time I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened and why I am the way I am and why I have been so much of my life. And 
I pick up a book off NetGalley called Love Lives Here. And this is a book by a Canadian author, Amanda Jete Knox, and um, she's a trans rights activist. Um, I read this book because I was going to review it and and have her on have her on uh, spilling ink and I was like okay you know that's fine and I read it and it's this story is about her wife coming out as a transgender woman and a lot of other stuff in in here but and I and I don't want to give you the whole story because it's really her story to tell but um, reading that book made me realize that there was more going on with me than okay you're depressed or um, you know you're bipolar that I've actually been dealing with some uh, gender dysphoria since I was very very young um, that I never recognized because I didn't know what it was uh, there wasn't language for it it wasn't something that was talked about in my house um, that you know I I grew up um, being raised as a man and doing manly things and wanting a manly body and, you know, covering myself with hyper-masculine, um, you know, artifacts and things like this, when in actuality, there's really something different going on in there. And that's something that I'm, I'm still figuring out. You know, I um, call myself a, a non-binary person or a genderqueer person um, right now. Uh, and that's just someone that doesn't identify as the gender they were assigned at birth. Um, so when, when you're born, doctor sees your uh, primary uh, sex characteristics and says, okay, you have a boy or a girl. Um, but sometimes our brains don't, don't work quite that way. So, you know, I have, uh, I have all sorts of stuff that's just kind of swirling around in my brain. But as soon as I read that book and had a really good long cry, um, I was able to find a little bit of peace because I was like, okay, well, I see so many similarities here with what these people have gone through and what I've gone through that this is actually making a lot more sense than it should. And so then you kind of retcon your life and, and, and see what you find um, and, and see what lines up. And a lot of this, you know, trying to be the most manly man you can be is is really um you know kind of sh shading something else and um for every person that could be different but for me it was the fact that i really am not the manliest man you'll ever find there's a big part of me that is very very feminine um maybe more so than the than the masculine part um and by trying to squish that down my whole life i was creating this huge imbalance within myself that just would kind of lash out from from time to time and and cause chaos, not only for me but for for the people around me. And so now I'm I'm a person that I I know what I look like. I know what I sound like. Um, you know, my my wife calls me husband. My kids call me call me dad, and that's a big part of my identity. And I'm and I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. But knowing that I am not just that thing. I am not just boy um, has allowed me to give myself a little bit more grace and trying to understand the things that I've done in my life and how I can move forward to be a better person. And it's all going to be very complicated and, and challenging, but 
I know now that when depression flares up again, I was like, okay, well, you know, is, is this because of something that's happening in the, the physical world here? Or is this something that's related to a gender dys dysphoria? Or is this a bipolar issue? And it, it helps me to be able to work on a problem rather than just flounder and think, why do I want to die? Why does everything hurt so bad? Um, and so I think, I think that's a good thing. Um, and so in the last couple of years, I started writing again. Um, I published a book of short stories with Three Furies Press. And uh, they're all short. Um, I, I'll tell you what, if you've ever seen the shows The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, they're, they're similar to that. So they're, they're kind of horror creepy stories, but not all the way horror creepy stories either. Um, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm, ex, I'm extremely proud of it. Um, I'm really excited for people to read it. It you know, came out at the beginning of the year and I think it's had a really good response. Um, so if you're, if you're looking to check out one of my books, that's what I would start with. It's called A Flutter of Darkness um, and it's 15 dark tales some of them are pretty, are pretty creepy. Some of them are a little bit more lighthearted. Um, and the idea with it is that I kind of want to get under your skin a little bit. You know, I want to make you think about things that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable or things that may, maybe you just haven't thought about before or haven't thought about in a, a certain way. Because uh, I think that that's important for us as humans um, is perspective. Um, you know, I always, I think we in general, will look at our perspective as, as the right way. Um, you know, that's, that's just how we look at things. You know, just like when you, when you see a hero's journey in a book told through their point of way, view, that's the right way, right? But, you know, if you turn things around a little bit, it can look totally different. And so I, I tried to approach things from different angles, um, not only to force myself to explore it, but to force you to explore it as well. So there's my, my big plug. Like I said, I don't really have a, I don't really have a, a story arc story right now because it's still going. This, this story is going to be going for maybe a little while yet. Um, but so that's just kind of my background on some of my, my messed up brain. Well, your unique brain, not messed up. Oh, I do have, well, there we go. There <laughs> I we do go. have questions though. When you went, first of all, you've been with your wife for a decade. Correct. Am I, do I have that timeline, right? A little more than that. I, I think so. Well, let's see here. Yeah, about so, 13 years, I think. 13 years. Okay, you said yeah. late 20s and that you were 40. So I'm trying to yep. put it together. So one thing is when this reared up and you went to a, what, what prompted you to finally go to a therapist? And were you relieved that, not that there's a label or you fit into a box, but that you could make sense of how you, what your thought processes were? Was it a relief to be diagnosed with bipolar and depression? Yeah, 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 for for sure. And um, and they are very very hesitant to diagnose people with any one thing nowadays. Um, and and they say it's because they don't want to uh, you know get it in your head and close off other avenues of treatment. Um, and I think that there's something to do with billing as well, with what they can bill you for um, and still provide you with treatment. Um, I, I think it's really convoluted. But um, yes, it was. It was a relief. Um, it was scary, but at least I knew, oh, I have this disease and they can actually treat it with some things. Um, so that was, it, it was, I mean, if, and it, and it was, it was not easy to get in to see a psychiatrist. Uh, they are 
few and far between here in Michigan. Um, and basically it, it took a suicide attempt to get me an appointment with a psychiatrist, uh, which really sucks. That is not right. Um, but, but anyhow, you know, yes, having, having that label, I'll tell you what, it, it really helps. It, it does because then when, you know, and when people ask you, you know, what's going on? Well, I have bipolar. And at first you're like, yeah, I want to talk to you about it because I'm just learning about this. And it actually helps me to, to talk to people about this. And you feel like by explaining it to people, they're going to understand better why you were such a nutcase you know, <laughs> the whole time you knew them. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that that really helped. Um, I think that I, I do well with psychiatrists, uh, not so much with, with counselors and psychologists. I am, um, I tend to, when I talk too deep into a problem, um, it, 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 you know, starts, starts churning stuff up and then I get, I get really down about it. And I don't think I'll have another suicide attempt. I, I, hope, I hope I don't, but at the same time, I, I try not to, to tempt that by wading too deep into those waters. And when I don't know how deep they really go. So, but it's like a psychiatrist, you know, they're, they're going to ask you a few questions about how you've been and they're like, here's your pills. And I actually prefer that. <laughs> like, no, just fix it with chemicals. That's, that's what I want to do, which probably isn't great, but yeah, that's me. It's not a bad, I don't think that there's a, I think there's a lot of pros and cons. I don't think there's right and wrong. And you have to, you have figured out what works best for you, which is really important. And, you know, I have kids that have struggled and I have one daughter that's like, I don't ever want to go on medication. And I said, like, that's not a bad thing. If that's the route that you need to take, because then you're healthy and you're happy. Why is that a bad thing? It doesn't have to be the only thing. It doesn't have to be the be all end all. But don't ever put yourself down if that's the route that you go. Oh, yeah, for why sure. Why would you? And, you know, the, I mean, it can go so much farther, too. Um, one of, one of my daughters, and, and I'll, I'll mention it because I know she's fine with me talking about it. Um, you know, and she's 18 now, about to leave for college in two days. And um, she has um, medication-resistant major depression, which is freaking awful. Um, and it's one of the scariest things I've ever watched as a parent. Because no matter what the doctors tried to do to help her, she just she tanked further and further and further, and she actually ended up um, having uh, electroconvulsive therapy (ECT) um, for months, which is pretty extreme, um, but it, it helped her a great deal. And it's scary to talk about because people look at some of these um, therapies and they're like, "Oh, you know," and I I don't know. There's there's still such a stigma around mental, <laughs> such a BS stigma around mental health. Um, but really, some of these things can can save our kids' lives. Um, you know, and things like just being open and affirming to your kids. You know, when when they tell you that they have depression or mom, there's something wrong. I I feel sad all the time and I don't know why. Hey, right fucking then. Yeah. There's something wrong. You need to make an appointment to see a doctor right then, you know, they, you've got to jump on it. Or if your child comes to you and, and tells you, you know, mom, dad, I, I think I'm trans or I, I think I'm gay. I mean, these queer kids are more at risk for suicide than anyone else in this country. Um, you know, jump on it right away. Be affirming. Tell them you love them. That's all they need to hear, that you yeah. love them and you're going to help them whatever it takes. Just love your friggin' kids. 
Um, but so, yeah, so it, it's a scary thing, you know, being a, a 40 year old person who has survived themselves uh, for so long, I feel like I've made a couple positive connections in my life. Um, and, and really when I do die, which is by the way, going to be battling a great white shark to save someone's life. Um, my my course, goal is obviously. for, that's, that's what it's gonna be. Uh, my goal is, is for there to be at least a few people that said, yeah, you know, Jay made my life better. Um, and that's, that's really all I want at this point because I, I know I've, I caused so much, so much pain for so many people when I was young. And I, and I'm, I, so I guess I'm going to be always trying to atone for that. What changed in your relationship with your wife and how did it change? Cause you're still together. Hmm. You're still hanging out. Was she pissed about your suicide attempt? Was she sad? And how yeah. have you navigated the last couple of years? Cause that's, I mean, you get a diagnosis, you have a suicide attempt, which is huge. And mm. And then you go to therapy and you get diagnosed and you're on medication. And then you have all these realizations after reading the book that those are pretty yeah. enormous changes within a marriage. Right. I don't know if you know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, those, are, those are a very, very big deal. Um, and uh, not everyone is, is as lucky as I am to have a marriage that's still intact and, um, and strong. We, are, we have a very strong marriage. Um, after the suicide attempt, uh, she was pretty distraught. Understandably so. There, there wasn't a lot of trust between us. You know, she wouldn't let me alone. Um, every, all the pills and dangerous things in the house had to be locked up all the time, and that was doctor's orders. Um, yeah, there, there's, and I, I tell this as a funny story now because we're, we've, we laugh about it now. The first time we made love after the attempt, in the middle of it, she busted out crying and completely broke down. And so we just laid there together with me saying, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm getting better. And she was just like, I just don't ever want to lose you ever. Um, I don't, I don't care what's happening. I just don't ever want to lose you. And, um, and, and that was, that was a, a big deal right there is as silly as that, that moment might seem that it, it was kind of like, you better fucking talk to me from now on no matter how dark and how terrible it is, because I'm, I'm going to help you. You know, I may be a crying, blubbering mess, but we're going to get through it together. And, um, and, and so that was a big thing. Um, and then realizing issues with, with my own gender identity. Um, yeah. That's, that's still an ongoing thing. And my wife is amazing. Um, she's working hard to use uh, the pronouns that I prefer, which are they, them. And um, she's doing she's doing a great job with trying to understand something that's really difficult to understand, um, and it's difficult for me as well. Um, so she's I don't know she's just really smart and really strong and really brave. Um, I mean she she's kind of like I don't know she's kind of like one of those characters in a movie that's just. What do, what do they call him? Not a Mary Jane character. That's not right. But she's one of those characters that's just fierce and strong and beautiful and smart and, and has all the things. There's like no flaws. And, and that's how I see her. She's just like my, my warrior princess. She's freaking amazing. Um, 
but she totally carries this family because if I break down or one of my kids breaks down, she's, she's the one that, that carries us through and um, she deserves all the credit for us being here. I love that. Now you said if we started with one book, because when you have six, you have to give me a starting point. I, I uh, purchase and read every book that every guest has ever written, but only one. <laughs> so if I have somebody like the guest that was on Christine Raymond with the two of us on Spilling Ink, she's like, I have 17. I'm like, I'm really proud of you, but I'm probably not going to read all seven. I, you could prove me wrong, but start with one. So yours is A Flutter of Darkness. I would say, well, what do you like to read? Oh, okay. I was talking more in general for people who want to find you and buy the book. Um, you know, I loved the movie Sixth Sense, which is what you kind of are reminding me of, where you're, you're, you're like on the edge of your seat and it's scary, mm -hmm. but not in a horror way, in okay. an edge of your seat way, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, for you, I'd recommend two. Okay. I'd recommend either The Cold Room Okay. Uh, which is my first first novel, or A Flutter of Darkness, which is the collection of short stories. And you okay. can find either one of those at Amazon.com or um, go to JNLavelle.com. It's super easy to find me there. But yeah, either one of those would be good good for you. Awesome. I want people to know, where can people find you? What's the best place to find you? How do you get in touch to be on one of the podcasts if people are interested in that? Yeah, um, for sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, find me on Facebook. Um, I'm on Facebook as Jason Lavelle. Uh, if you find me on there, you'll, you'll see my podcast or just send me a, a direct message and, and we'll get connected and I'm, I'll be happy to work with you. I love that. Jay, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I, your story's incredible. <laughs> I don't know about incredible, but thank you for having me on. <laughs>